This is the Blue Bomber Podcast with CFL Hall of Famer and my broadcast partner, Doug Brown. It's like a head-on car accident there. Had to piggyback him, grab onto his waist as he pulled him, kind of like a tractor pull there for a couple yards. You can play it safe. You don't have to take these risks and just nickel and dime your way down the field. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at CJOB.com. Hey, hey, it is the Blue Bomber Podcast, Greg Mackling and Doug Brown with you. And Doug, boy, were we uh, just a tiny bit off on our prediction for last week's game. The three we and were not. Winnipeg Blue Bombers were off. Are we, we blaming on the Blue Bombers? On. It was them. They let us down. We started, we professed our love for them mm-hmm. and uh, they stood us up. May I call you darling? You may call me streetcar because of my desire for... They literally did not show up for that game. So there you go. That's what happens when you put your heart out there. You make yourself vulnerable. Yep. Look what happens, yep. ladies. That's why. I was going why to we're say. cold, callous, calculated creatures. I was going to say, ladies, if you want to understand why <laughs> men have a hard time committing to a relationship, look no further than our relationships with our sports teams. Because there's only one team that can win the championship every single year. So the odds of your team winning it on any given year one are not nine. very good, right? <laughs> so Seven years. <laughs> Fantastic. Should be better odds. Okay, so let's look at this. Three yeah. and ten, Hamilton, now they're four and ten. Ten and three, Winnipeg, now ten and four. Uh, square off, and Hamilton comes right in on the first drive. They start throwing the ball, driving down the ball, uh, down the throat of the Blue Bomber defense, running, and then on their third play from scrimmage, they go deep right at the previous week's defensive player of the week in Chris Randall. They were coming in here to make a statement, I think. Yeah, what a what a different football team, and and what a surprise and eyebrow raiser. I think the biggest problem in that football game was the fact that the Hamilton offense possessed the football for almost forty minutes wow. of that game, like essentially forty twice out as of much. sixty minutes. That's two thirds of the game yeah. they possessed the football. And uh, you want to talk about a glimpse into playoff football right there where you're emphasizing your running game and they have a running quarterback and they establish the run and the ground game in that contest. Uh, I mean, that's that's how you can chew up a clock and, and did it ever open things up down the field. And, you know, defensively, uh, going from one of their best games or their best game against Edmonton to this game, you know, it's funny that third play of the game, uh, you, you talk about uh, you know how how Speedy Banks got behind the the secondary on a double move, and when you think about you know a, a simple simplistic breakdown of hey how can he be that open? Well, first and foremost, if you have pressure on him, can you run double moves? If you're getting to the quarterback, if you're pressuring the quarterback, do your receivers have time to run and out and then break it downfield it back into a fly pattern or whatever go route? Do they have time to do that if you're getting to the quarterback, right? So it was really just a showcase of, of uh, all the problems this Blue Bomber defense has had uh, over the weeks, all condensed into one, right? They couldn't stop the run. They weren't getting to the quarterback. Uh, I believe the sacks were, what, 5-2 to two or something like that in favor of Hamilton in terms of the sacks they got uh, against Nichols. And uh, so they weren't stopping the run. They weren't pressuring the quarterback. And then they had problems in the secondary, right? It was all kind of uh, linked together. And it was just all on showcase all at once, right? And uh, it, it ended up being a very poor showing. And then even offensively, where normally they're very strong, they're very solid, right? Ball security. And we protect our quarterback. Super comfortable in the pocket. Sacked five times. 
uh, lost a turnover battle, 3 nothing. So many things uncharacteristic of this football team. And uh, it doesn't, it's not the end of the world, right? It was surprising because it was against Hamilton. Sure, they're playing better. But you're going to have those lapses in uh, you know an 18-game season where a lot of the traits you fostered and, and have been wielding in the previous weeks just disappear. Go away on you, right? They're not there anymore. And, uh, you know, for this football team, it's a great wake-up call. You know, and that's why I wrote about it this week in the free press, just because you either either dismiss it and you're in denial about what happened, or you go in with your eyes wide open, you learn about it, and you get takeaways from it, and you make yourself a better football team going forward. In the spectrum, and I'm quoting you now, I don't like to read back your stuff to you, but this is more for the benefit of our listeners here that may have not read your outstanding article like a, that you write every a bedtime week for story, the Winnipeg. Right? Yeah, it really is. In the spectrum, can we have some uh, lullaby <laughs> music, please, Jerry? In the spectrum of wake-up calls that range from a gentle, gentle nudge and cascading waterfall emanating from your alarm to an air horn that melts in your face with 129 decibels. Friday's loss to the Hamilton Tiger Cats was a middle-of-the-road backhand across the jowls of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And so it wasn't just at the hands of the defense. The offense came out flat as well. You mentioned the fact that Hamilton managed to get pressure on Matt Nichols, and here we are preparing for this game Saturday against British Columbia. And he's damaged. That's right, and the question is, will he be able to play? And if so, for how long on on a play that really, you know, we haven't seen much of in the last couple of years, Matt Nichols back to throw, Hamilton gets her hand on the ball and wrenches the ball out of his hands and does physical damage to that throwing hand of Matt Nichols. Uh, The offensive line is going to be looking at each other going, we cannot let that happen again. Yeah, and like I said, better time now than than in the playoffs, right? Having a wake-up call now where there's still time to address things and tighten up, obviously, and get a a refocus about your football team. But, you know, in, in terms of Matt Nichols hurting his hand, that's really best-case scenario. When you replay and you watch that, you look at the torque on his throwing. When you're going to throw a football, like the the kind of, uh, of power being generated, the torque on his shoulder and his elbow, right, to have a player come from behind and just hammer down on that, uh, you know, and then the shot he took after, I think people were so focused on looking for the football and the fact that, that it was a fumble that not everyone noticed the squared up shot he took from a guy running downhill with some velocity. I mean, this is actually you know, having something wrong with your fingers, even though you're a quarterback. I call it best case scenario for wow. Matt Nichols because it could have been so much worse, you know. And if it's just if it's just a nail thing or even a, a finger dislocation thing, football players are very accustomed to playing with pain, dealing with that. Uh, the medical staff and the, the orthopods that are around the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are, are some of the best I've ever experienced, NFL or CFL. So it's, uh, you know, this is something they can navigate, but... Um, I, I tell you, that could have been that could have been exponentially worse. So let's chalk this one up to a wake up call. And so, in your experience, Doug, you've been down this road before. You know that wake up calls uh, sometimes have a positive impact. Is that what you're expecting here? As the bombers are getting ready for British Columbia, or is this going to be a, a case of uh, you know doubting Susan's creeping in again? No, you know, I, I think it, you have to look at what you've experienced and what you've seen as a football observer and say, okay, how do I answer this question? 
they haven't lost two games in a row this entire season. Good right? point. They've always responded, and you know, I'm trying to base my my observations on this team off of what they've showed us so far in a 14 game sample, and they've always responded well after uh, after a loss, after a disappointment. They've always bounced back. You know, at least one phase, maybe more so than the other, but whatever. They've they've gotten back into the win column. What makes Saturday very interesting is the fact that the BC Lions are coming to town, and uh, uh, you know not only have they already lost to the BC Lions in the regular season, which is something they didn't do last year, they only lost in the playoffs to them, but all their games against BC are close, nail-biting, dramatic, super exciting though, and uh, a lot of fun to watch. So it's going to be—we know it's going to be a competitive contest, uh, but hopefully they can move to get the split, and then hopefully the final game of the year, uh, take the season series. So when you're analyzing a game like this, do we look at the body of work over the last two or three seasons when the personnel have been generally the same for both clubs, give or take uh, some names here and there, or do we look at the overall records? And British Columbia has been very disappointing. A lot of people were expecting the Lions to compete with Edmonton, to compete with Calgary for first place, not battle Saskatchewan for fifth place or fourth place if you look at it that way in the CFL West. Yeah, I mean they're they're dead last right now in the West. Not a lot of people saw them there. But I think I think uh, yeah, if there's anything you l- learn from playing Hamilton Tiger Cats last week is throw the record out the window, right? right. And especially when it comes to the BC Lions, just because of how they match up against against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. I mean, we've seen a body of work, you know, what is it, four or five games now that we've seen this year and last year. Really in the last calendar year, yeah, right? Because yeah. all their games were at the end of the regular season last year. They played two games very tight to one another, and then, of course, the playoff game in November, and then the, the second game of the season for the Blue Bombers, or I guess it was the third game in BC. So, yeah, that we've got a condensed time frame here, one calendar year, where this will be their fifth matchup, and then they play one another again in two weeks time yeah and you know i think both have uh porous defenses that 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 give up a lot of points and a lot of yards and and uh both their offenses both the bc offense and the winnipeg offense get in tune for these games and and you know take what is available to them and it ends up being high scoring uh but closely contested and uh, closely fought game, so I expect more of the same. And like I say, it'll be interesting. You know, I've never been. Uh, I always had my doubts about Jonathan Jennings as a quarterback for the oh, BC. Oh, really? Line. I, I yeah. never did. I, so I felt he was on the precipice of doing some spectacular things. But what? I mean, I think he's a great it, athlete. What but tipped your hat to, on? I always thought he sprayed the football. I always thought you know he was he was careless or reckless with the football. You know, he's one of those guys that that gets on a roll and gets uh, gets hot in the pocket and just starts believing it's almost a Brett Favre mentality that you can just throw it through the wall or, or, Hey, I can make that throw. Or he just, you throw and you end up, you, you get moving, uh, you get some momentum and you just end up throwing caution to the wind. And I think he's one of those players where, you know, like I said, he can, he can put drives together and put a scoring and, and be clutch and put a scoring drive together when it's, when it's critical and it's needed. At the same time, I think he can make really ill-advised things because he hasn't learned how to, to dial it in. Like he's almost the complete opposite of, of what you see in Nichols where it's all calculated. It's high percentage. It's very good, accurate placement and, and very rarely does he put that football in into dangerous places, right? Where where the the possibility of something bad happening is is likely. And I just thought, you know, 
maybe Jennings will mature and that'll go away or that that'll change in his game. But from what I've seen, I was just like, man, this guy, he'll put it up there up for grabs for sure. And, and there are some guys in the secondary for the Bombers, no matter how they've struggled in terms of points and yardage, they can take the ball away. There's one thing we know about this defense. They are capable of taking the football away and forcing those turnovers. Why don't we take a pause? Uh, this is one of those days where we actually wish it was television. We always talk about a face for radio and a face for podcasting. Doug Brown and I are looking rather sharp as we're heading out Same to the... Same color suits, actually, almost. Yeah, you know, yeah. how about that? We're we, doing the we... tie thing. I refuse to... You refuse? Refuse to wear a tie. Do refuse. anything I'm not getting paid for. Let's oh, put it that way. Fair enough. Okay. I like the okay. way you think. Hey, let's <laughs> talk about the Blue Bomber Legacy Dinner when we come back. Terrence Edwards going back, going into the Blue Bomber Player Hall of Fame. He'll be the only player inducted. We'll talk about Gene Dunn and also David Asper and the influence he has had on this football team over the years. He could be the ultimate Blue Bomber fan. We'll talk about that as we continue on the Blue Bomber Podcast with Doug Brown. Whether Bomber fans call or text, Bob Irving makes sure your questions get answers from Mike O'Shea. It's your chance to stay connected to the blue and gold. The Payworks Bombers Coaches Show with Mike O'Shea and Bob Irving, Monday at 7 on CJOB. Hey, hey, it's GMAC for Doug Brown and the Blue Bomber Podcast. We want to send you an upcoming Blue Bomber home game. The secret word this week to text is going to be... Asper, in honor of David Asper, who is uh, one of three inductees into the Blue Bomber Hall of Fame this week. Asper, A-S-P-E-R, 204-780-6868 if you want to go see the Blue Bombers at home, courtesy of the Blue Bomber Podcast. Do it now. Welcome back to the Blue Bomber Podcast with Doug Brown. Let's get back to the action. It's a Blue Bomber podcast with Doug Brown. I'm Greg Mackling, trying to drive the ship a little bit here. The Blue Bomber Legacy Dinner uh, coming up. It's either coming up tonight or you've already it's already taken place, Doug. And uh, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers honoring uh, one player and two builders, Gene Dunn, David Asper, and Terrence Edwards, of course, the player going in uh, to honor and to be honored by the Blue and Gold, number 82. He had an outstanding career with the Blue Bombers, uh, 469 receptions, 7,200 yards, 46 touchdowns. He was one of those players I thought uh, was the quintessential Blue Bomber and the fact that he looked really good in his uniform. <laughs> number 82 is he one of those really num- good yep, really good in his okay. uniform and he made big plays he made timely plays and, and catches uh, he was a clutch receiver playing with Milt Stiegel for most of his time here in Winnipeg he was like the baby brother right? Yeah no he was a, he was a great teammate and uh, the, the thing about Terrence Edwards you're like okay what jumps off the page with you Terrence Edwards as a receiver and you're like well he was good at everything, right? So it wasn't just that he had great hands or that he could run away from people or that he ran great routes or that he was durable or any. He was good at all those things, right? So he was uh, he was the total package in terms of a receiving threat. What's another and word for that? Oh, quintessential. Quintessential. There mm-hmm. you go. Wow. Yeah. Breaking out the thesaurus on me, too. Yeah, on you. I understand. I get another gold I'm star. I'm shamed. Anyways, um, <laughs> no, in the locker room, too, he was, uh, you know, I think... I think Milt Stiegel, I think he'd be the first guy to tell you that Milt Stiegel had a big, big influence on him in terms of his preparation. Uh, you're a guy around a guy like Milt, and obviously receivers want to be like him, and you see what it takes, right? You see the work ethic and the devotion and dedication to the craft of uh, of being a top-flight upper echelon receiver. And, uh, you know, Terrence... Uh, 
do we call him Mini Milt at some point? At some point, we had a little name I be- for him. I believe that's, like that, that you yeah. did, yes. And uh, he was just, you know, on the football field, uh, he was he was a team guy. He was unassuming, and uh, he was just a player, though. You know, when you needed him, you could count on him. And uh, super reliable, super durable, and just a very good football player that deserves this recognition going to the Hall of Fame. Was he? Un- those other two builders, not so sure. But Terrence Edwards, no, just kidding. I love those two guys as well. <laughs> Was was Terrence Edwards underappreciated because he did play with Milt Stiegel for a good, good chunk of his career? Um, Maybe from the outside. On the team, he was probably very much appreciated, right? Yeah, I think like in years when Milt wasn't here, uh, specifically like even 2011, uh, you know, you, you got an understanding of, of what Terrence was capable of uh, times when Milt was hurt. Um, and like I said, there was a stretch there. Uh, Terrence played without him. He, he was always our number one guy if he wasn't playing with, with Milt Stiegel, right? And uh, that's, a, that's a big shadow for your, your big brother to, uh, to cast over you. But he did very, very well uh, really going out there and, and eking out his own, making his own name and, and career for himself. And he uh, was a fantastic uh, receiver and very successful. You know, there's a lot of people that I could think because I didn't do this alone. You know, I, I got a lot of teammates from 2007, 2013 that helped this process for me or helping me become the, the player that I want to be. I also want to thank those 15 quarterbacks that threw me balls throughout my <laughs> seven-year career. I, I also like to thank them as well because as a receiver, I'm always open and you should throw me the ball at every play. <laughs> so I like to thank those quarterbacks. So I also like, I know it's Buck here tonight. I would like to thank Buck personally since he's here. Thanks for throwing me the ball, Buck. Milt Stiegel taught me a lot about the CFL game. And one of the things that I pride myself is passing along the legacy of this position, wide receiver. And I passed it along to Clarence Denmark, who's still on the team seven years later. And it's his job to pass it along to some of these younger players. And some of your younger players, it's going to be your turn to pass along to the next guy. I thought he was one of the best pickups in the 2000s for the Blue Bombers in terms of free agency. Uh, you know, Montreal, they clearly did not appreciate him. They let him walk away. They let him come to Winnipeg. And so when he did come to the Blue Bombers, I thought, boy, what a one-two combination they're going to have with him and Stiegel. Was his personality such that it lent itself to him being okay with being in the shadow of Milt Stiegel? Yeah, but, you know, he had his own role and everything, too. Uh, that's just something you say if anyone, you know, we're all in Milt Stiegel's shadow if you if you played it in his day. It didn't matter what position you were, right? So uh, he was able to create his own identity, and, and obviously everyone saw the value uh, that he was able to bring. And for anything about Terrence, too, everyone forgot about his brother, uh, Robert Edwards, who was a fantastic running back. If he, wasn't, if he hadn't have been hampered and limited by injury, let me tell you, the the athleticism uh, the, that pair of brothers have, my God, uh, those two both supreme athletes. I also want to thank, if anybody know my older brother, Robert Edwards. Uh, he's probably one of the most inspirational people in my life. And if you don't know, you should Google or YouTube Robert Edwards. Robert Edwards was a first-round draft pick to the New England Patriots. Robert Edwards went to the Pro Bowl as a rookie after rushing for 1,200 yards. Robert Edwards tore his knee up in the sand, playing flag football in the sand. And it's a day that it went from a high to a low in my family. And my parents 
always taught us that you can never get too high, can never get too low uh, in this game of sports because there's always going to be peaks and valleys in this game that we love to play. And that was definitely a valley for my family. My brother and I watched came back to the University of Georgia to rehab his knee for two years. And it was probably the hardest time in my sports career that I got to see my sports idol. Everyone always talk about who is your sports idol growing up. Well, I didn't have to look far for mine. Mine was my older brother, Robert. And seeing the pain that he went through to get back to playing taught me a valuable lesson. Can't never take this game for granted for the young guys out there look because it could be taken away from you in a split second. My brother sat to watch me for two years at the University of Georgia after he rehabbed, and it showed me the grit and determination that you had to play with, play this game every day, because you never knew when it was going to be your last. I would like to thank all of y'all for embracing me in this community. I love this community, and I think this community loved me back. I would like to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for inducting me into the Winnipeg Blue Bomber Hall of Fame. Thank you. Let's talk a little bit about Gene Dunn. A lot of, uh, there, there's an individual, he could be in this room right now, and I would know him because he'd be the other guy in the room. But in a room of 100 people, I guarantee you, most people would never be able to pick him up. Very, very unassuming yeah. individual, and but someone that was uh, critical in the success and the and, and and the life of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers when things were really tough. Gene Dunn, just a brilliant businessman. Uh, but like you said, you don't see it coming, right? He catches you off guard. He's just initially when I met Gene, I was like, oh, he's just you know, he's a guy who likes the football team and uh, likes to enjoy a, a good glass of red wine and or uh, some rum. But uh, you end up, you know, you end up learning more about him. You see his value uh, to the Winnipeg Football Club, to the CFL as a whole. I mean, he was an acting and an interim commissioner. Uh, he spearheaded a lot of the uh, those search parties to uh, to find new commissioners for this league and he was just all he cared so much about this football team and the Canadian Football League you know you meet him and he was just like what can I do to help you know and uh, like I said shrewd businessman uh, unbelievable guy you get to know he was he was almost like my surrogate father here in in Manitoba uh, him and David uh, you know my parents are, are both in BC They've just, you know, you couldn't ask for for better friends and uh, and mentors and uh, well, you could. I, mean, I could have gone without a few of the awards they gave me. Uh, I don't know if you heard about these, but uh, a couple times I was up uh, for major uh, CFL awards, and uh, there was one year I came, I was runner up to uh, Brent Johnson twice for top Canadian and top defensive player. So they, uh, you know, they didn't want me to be left out. So they literally bought this very expensive trophy real very elegant and they gave it to me i was like oh my this is so kind of you guys and i read the inscription it was called the runner-up award <laughs> and then the next year i believe i uh yeah there was three years in a row the next year i think i lost top canadian to jason claremont and i got another award that was a runner-up award again the runner-up again runner-up again award yeah and then uh like the third time it happened, I just I said, please stop giving me these awards. Like they thought it was the first time they even put together like a press packet uh, to be released to the media about how we continue uh, as the Winnipeg Football Club continues to celebrate Doug's quest for mediocrity, so on and so forth. And then, of course, the Coupe de Gras. Uh, how do you say that? Coupe de Gras? Coupe de Gras. Uh, when I retired. 
Not the Coupe de Grey, the Coupe de Grey. Yeah, yeah, the... (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. When I was retiring, then they they got me some quitters award or something like that. So, in recognition of you quitting football, uh, so they, uh, you know, those guys... Very much like guys in the locker room, actually, uh, and they've been around the football club so much they know the, the kind of relationships we have. The more you tease somebody, the more you love them. So, uh, you know, that's uh, that's my relationship with those guys in in a nutshell. Well, I'm just reading uh, Ed Tate's work from BlueBombers.com, and uh, if you know, if you don't want to take mine and Doug's word for it, Gene Dunn wants nothing to do with this. To be perfectly honest, now make no mistake, Dunn, who is being formally inducted into the Winnipeg Football Club's Hall of Fame at Wednesday's legacy dinner is positively thrilled to be honored for his long service as a Grey Cup organizer, board member, and helping navigate the franchise through the financial abyss it faced at the turn of the millennium. So that's just some more insight uh, from Ed Tate, who was around and of course does some great work for BlueBombers.com. He's the director of digital content. And David Asper is the other individual you're referring to uh, there, Doug. And, you know, we don't need to get into the whole idea that it may be David Asper's fault that the Blue Bombers have a new stadium. And I, <laughs> his you know, fault? His fault, yes, because he really kick-started this yeah. entire process yeah, he did. Uh, almost 10 years ago. Uh, it came from a place of love, without question, for this football team. Like you said, he uh, nothing but a, a huge resource and booster for um, this football club, all coming from his uh, affinity and affection for this football team. It was always about what can he do uh, to make the organization better, to help out, uh, to help the players, whatever it took. I mean, the stories you could say about uh, David lending his time and his resources to the football club and or the players on this team, it's just endless, right? Uh, he's, he's done so. He's uh, currently you know, a title sponsor for uh, Kidsport, uh, one of the charities I, I rep here in Winnipeg. And uh, you know he came on board and uh, is giving money to those uh, those kids that are were trying to remove barriers for entry in a sport for in Winnipeg. So he's just been incredible. You know the pair of them. You know it's it's no surprise that they're they're very good friends and uh, they share a suite together at, at IGF and they above and beyond more so than anything else. You know they care about the fortunes of this football team. Uh, they've been around for the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, and uh, they're just hoping to see it all. Uh, finally get over that that hump one final time and um, I have so many David Asper stories I want to tell you I probably you know I'm gonna tell you uh, the the worst one was probably um, I jumped off of uh, uh, David Asper's boathouse once and I ruptured my eardrum okay like to the point where I was throwing up in a a bucket that they got me because I had vertigo and I couldn't stand up straight and uh, about less than a month later uh, at, a, at a birthday party and they couldn't be there, but they sent a gift for me and they'd taken a, a 12 pack of beer and they'd gone to a print shop and they'd actually taken pictures of me throwing up in this red bucket. And so they got the beer, uh, they got this case of beer covered in this wallpaper and they called it Doug Brown's red bucket beer. The beer refreshing as the crisp, cool land it's brewed in. The beer that captures for you the wonderful refreshment of this enchanted Northland. And they like literally labeled it and they gave it to me as uh and uh, yeah, that was something that happened with David. But like I said, just like Gene, um, you know, you can't thank those guys enough for their involvement with the football club, uh, their involvement with this community and, and the actionable items that they've accomplished. It's the list is very long and uh, both 
wonderful um, additions, I think, to the Winnipeg Blue Bomber Hall of Fame. And I have to ask you this question just because uh, people get mad at me if I don't. Was it, was David too close to the football team at times? Was, was it a detriment to have someone that, that was, you know, let's face it, at different times there was questions about whether or not he was going to buy the team, if it was going to become a private entity. Uh, were there times when, when David's involvement w- was too much? From your point of view, you know nothing. Nothing I ever, you know, for me, the more people that cared about this football team and wanted to be involved sure. in in good things. I mean, we all have opinions, and you know, uh, believe me, many people share uh, what they think uh, should go on and and go forward with this team. Obviously, he was in a position to get more things done, but you know, from two thousand and one uh, when I met him, you know, up until now, it's always been. You know, whether it was it was something that people thought was was errant or something that was spot on, you know, or it was a genesis of an idea like a stadium to me. I, I don't know how, you know, if you if you care about an entity and you're willing to, you know, give your time and your resources and 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 things like that for for the betterment of it. You know, it doesn't matter if on occasion, you know, something is is uh is errant or not, right? Because it's it's the intention and it's the overall. Um, I mean, the the impact these guys have had has just been tremendous overall. So that's that's nothing uh, that's even crossed my mind. So uh, what are we looking for Saturday before we wrap things up on the Blue Bomber podcast, Doug? Are we talking about the Blue Bombers uh, burying the uh, hatchet from last week and moving forward? Or are there tough times ahead? Are we going to have to be talking about a two-game, for the first time this season, a two-game losing streak for the Big If we don't learn from our past, we're doomed to repeat it. So we've learned that they have not lost two games in a row, that they always respond to a loss. We also learned that they're playing much better at home right now. And uh, they're certainly not going to take the BC Lions coming in here for, for granted, but I think they will take advantage of all those pluses and benefits that you get in your own barn. So I expect them uh, to turn it around quickly and uh, get the ship righted against the Leos. The Bombers uh, prediction from Doug Brown, and I uh, will echo those sentiments. I'm not backing down. We uh, came pretty hard in terms of uh, vouching for this team on our last podcast. We're not about to back down after one bump in the road. Bombers are going to move to 11-4 and with a big win against the BC Lions Saturday afternoon. Don't forget to uh, tune in to 680 CJOB for all the coverage starting at 1 o'clock. Doug, always a pleasure, my friend. We'll see you next week. The Blue Bomber Podcast with Doug Brown. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at cjob.com.